welcome everybody back to another episode of Mentioned and Dispatches uh, here with the Armchair Dragoons. This one is, uh, we are officially out of order at this point. This is supposed to be episode eight, but with the Compass Catalog episode kind of jumping in there in the line as well, uh, we're we're out of order at this point. So so although we're calling this episode eight, it might be the ninth one out. It might be the seventh one out. I'm, I've got to see what actually posts once we get it all edited together. Tonight, we've got a pair of guests here to talk about one of the seminal events of the Wargaming calendar each year. Uh, back for a second round here with the Armchair Dragoons. Our boy Justin Guard is back. Justin, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing doing all right. And then uh, a, a rookie for the Dragoons podcast here on Mentioned and Dispatches, our new friend Grant from Pushing Cardboard. Grant, how are you tonight? Uh, great. Glad to uh, glad to be back home after the long drive back from um, Central California. From 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 the middle of nowhere. So so Grant <laughs> and Justin are both here because they they both spent last weekend out in the middle of nowhere. And if you've ever looked at a map at seen where Hanford, California is. It's the I mean Fresno is already the middle of nowhere. You go to Fresno, you hang a left and drive another fifty miles, and now you're in Hanford. And uh, and and the reason you're there is for GMT's weekend at the warehouse. And so big event that that they've able been able to bring back now. This is this is the second year back post COVID, and uh, and and so these guys are here to tell us all about weekend at the warehouse. And so as a part of that, uh, Justin, what was the coolest thing you saw this past week? Oh, man, just, just put me on the spot right away. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, coolest thing I saw at Weekend at the Warehouse. You know, I think probably it was um, the number of people playing the same games. Like, there was definitely, like, a hierarchy in terms of uh, games that were popular. And some of them made total sense. Like, there was a lot of games of John Company 2nd Edition going on. And so it was really fun to walk around and see that, like, that production of that game is so nice. And to see, like six player games happening every day, sometimes multiple times a day. Um, and then on top of that, I would say there was a full nine player game of Western empires that lasted all, I believe Friday, all of Friday. Like I got there at like nine in the morning and they were still going when I left at like 11 at night. I think I saw some pictures of that one on social media that the, the giant game, they, they said it went for 12 hours, but I think it probably went longer than that. Yeah, it was insane. I like, I, I literally looked like nobody had moved when I walked out at the end of the day. Um, but it was fun to see how the board had developed. And that game is like super cool to watch, like just the way it looks and how everyone takes their turn simultaneously so like everyone's reaching into the board to like do stuff on it yeah it was fun oh wow so grant what was the coolest thing you saw while you were there uh well i, I some of the same stuff as as justin but uh i think the the two things that i saw that really caught my eye was somebody uh, there was a group playing uh, nappy wars where they'd completely pimped out the their uh, game so that instead of the regular pieces they had uh, uh, little uh, little blocks and cylinders and then with figures glued on the top so it was this uh, this completely pimped out game that they played for a couple of days and then the other thing was there was a a, a version a prototype version of the Chad Jensen's game Downfall that uh, that uh, John Butterfield has picked up the uh, reins on and uh, trying to get it over the finish line, and that's that uh, that's that game that's uh, about the Second World War, where one side plays Russia, the other side plays the Western Allies, and then if you're playing the Western Allies, you also play the Germans facing the Russians. If you're playing the Russians, you also play the Germans facing the Western Allies, and uh, it was great to kind of see that on the table. It uh, it's it's kind of bigger, it's bigger looking than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. You know, the, the one interesting thing about that game, too, I just jump in, um, is they found all of Chad Jensen's files for that game after he passed away with no documentation about how it what some of the intent behind the design was. And John Butterfield went in there and tried to figure out, tried to like reverse engineer the game to figure out what Chad meant with a lot of his design decisions there. And so it's been a bit of like an archaeological puzzle as John has been developing it. From what I understand, and I, I talked to a 
Kai Jensen. I, actually, I, I got to, a chance to interview her for my podcast sort of later in the year. And she talked about how, you know, she'd worked with Chad on that design over time. And all those notes refer to different iterations of the game. And one of the challenges for John, especially, but her with her help, is to try and figure out which iteration of the game each set of notes belongs to, because most of it is was all just in Chad's head. There was a great talk some number of years ago at one of the Connections conferences uh, by Matt Kirschenbaum, who's... Uh... A uh, longtime GMT fan, folks on Consum World have seen Matt talk about a bunch of stuff. He's a professor at the University of Maryland, uh, but he uh, he did a talk where he got to spend some time with Larry Bond and Chris Carlson in D.C. and was working with Larry Bond on some stuff and talking about the different iterations of development over time that... Matt was sort of digging into Larry Bond's process around the development of Harpoon over the years and version one, version two, what changed, how they tracked the evolution of these things. And uh, and Matt's title of the talk was something along the lines of, you know, archiving an evolutionary process of war game design or some, something suitably academically high-minded and the subtitle underneath was or what's in larry bond's basement yeah right <laughs> that, was a, that was a great descriptor to get people to pay attention to a to an academic talk um but yeah the the evolution of the design over time can definitely be a bit of a headache so it's it's cool to see that they're sorting through those notes and, and being able to piece enough together to you know get another chad jensen design out there for us you know well, after we sadly lost him too young and kai I mean, she was also demoing uh, the latest iteration of the Fighting Formations series, mm -hmm. uh, the one on the 29th Division. Uh, so, you know, we're going to see the Americans added into that system. But she said uh, she gave a little talk as well, uh, where she talked about how she has a, a whole file cabinet full of game designs that are in various states of wherever Chad left them. And so she's trying to sort the way through to see which ones can be brought over the finish lines and which ones there's, they're just too preliminary to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And she's also, she's also uh, actually been, I think hired full time at GMT. Now she's helping smooth out their pipeline process, um, getting art stuff in order. So uh, they brought her on and uh, you know, that extra help obviously is going to go a long way with their backlog of stuff that they have ready to publish. I mean, I think Gene said at the, at the convention, mentioned that they've got two years worth of games like just on p500 uh like right now and so like if they didn't take anything for two years they would still be pumping out product which is pretty insane yeah i i, I got to imagine that two years is just sort of stuff that's actually ready to go and that there's another three to five that are pretty darn close just waiting to finish probably half of them just in artwork that uh just trying to push them over the line Around the, the cool games you saw and some of the cool games you got to play, one of the things that, that folks have always said about Weekend at the Warehouse that's kind of cool is being able to talk to the guys from GMT, get some insight into what's going on there. You guys just mentioned, you know, Kai talking about some of the production stuff she's doing and the guys there talking about their P500 pipeline. In the, the discussions that you had with them, whether they were sort of formal talks on the part of the GMT guys or just you being able to have a chat with them, uh, don't give away any trade secrets if you were given anything in confidence, but, but Grant, is there any particular interesting insight or news that you picked up around GMT that um, that that would be of, of key interest that you think is worth sharing? Well, uh, it, it's only odd in that uh, it's not about GMT, but I uh, the Revolution guys were there as well. There was uh, 
Roger and Rich and Steve Carey were all there. And uh, Steve Carey's, he's just got out his latest game on the, uh, in the Blind Sword system. And so they were demoing that and they were demoing um, Death of an Army, the, the World War One game. But anyway, I, I had a chat with, I, ch I talked to all those guys, but I talked to Steve for a while. And uh, he said uh, the, the little piece of news was he, his, the next game he's working on for the Blind Sword system is on Shiloh. And he's, he's going to tackle just day one of Shiloh and try and uh, wedge that into the blind sword system. Oh, okay. And so that's that's going to be coming from Revolution then and not GMT. That's right. There was there was a few other people around besides just GMT, so I was trying to yeah. trying to hit up everybody. No, that's that's cool. I I knew other people went to weekend at the warehouse from other companies cuz they're out there and it's a chance to sit down and play some games. And I knew there were non-GMT games that would hit the table out there. I didn't realize there was sort of an official presence from someone other than GMT. I think that's kind of cool that that they had Revolution there. Yeah, I I don't know how I mean, it definitely wasn't like something on the sly or anything. And they and they were allowed to demo their game. Like the the death of an army was on the table all weekend, and they were showing it to people. So uh, it seemed like uh, Gene and the GMT folks were all cool with that. And I don't the the whole vibe of the the event is is very much like a kind of happy family. It's not it's not ultra competitive. It's just sort of like, hey, these are the guys I get along. I, I get together with twice a year here at the warehouse. You know. Yeah. So, no, that's that's really yeah, cool. I, yeah, it's funny. I, I the the uh, revolution guys, or at least Roger, he's from Sacramento, so it wasn't that far for them to come down. Um, what I found interesting, you know, obviously uh, the the game that they were demoing in Blind Swords, I believe, was Perrysville, Perryville, Perryville, 1862, which is the next one. But they also, and they like you said, they're also doing Ypres 1914. But I found it interesting that there was someone else at the convention who had brought Ypres 1914 and had it set up. So there was like two instances of Ypres, one of which was not even like from Revolution, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I I brought it with me as well. I I thought I'd get a chance <laughs> to play it, but. I, I didn't with uh, with everything else going on, but and, but it was also you know like I played a couple of games of uh, brief border wars from Compass, yep. and it, like there's there's totally no nobody looks sideways at you if you're not playing a GMT game, you know it's they're they're very it's very open and easy and cool. That's cool. That's cool. I I love the brief border wars games. I I, I threw them on the table as official events at both Buckeye Game Fest and Origins over the past year. That uh, very easy to teach good convention games because you've got a couple of different options in one box. Um, they play pretty quick, so you can easily fit them in a convention event. I'm really looking forward to the to the sequel coming out here soon. So it's it's cool to see that that other folks get a chance to to play that one. So it was uh, it was great because in both cases we we learned the game and played the game in under 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We saw Perryville on the table at Origins. It had been set up, and and it was clear that it had been set up, and they played their way through one of them, and they were sort of in the process of backing it up for a second run through later in the day but kind of left it to go grab lunch or whatever when we were walking by. I don't recall even seeing it in the official program. I think the guys that had the playtest copy there just sort of grabbed the table and put a sign up, said, anybody wants to come play, come, you know, we'll be here at 11 o'clock or whatever, and, and just left it out on a table in the open gaming area. And and it was there, so we we did see it. We just didn't even know it was happening. So right, the the uh, the those revolution guys, they're they're all such uh, I know kind of chill California guys as well, right? They're pretty <laughs> easy to get along with, and and I love that blind sword system. So uh, you know, I was all over it. I was so happy to see that stuff. Yeah, that's great. The other thing too about the weekend, um, from a just like a news and updates perspective, is I felt like this time of all the times that I've been, I felt like this was the one where there were more designers with prototypes. Um, whether they were established designers or first-time designers at the convention. I, I couldn't count the number of prototypes I saw there, but John Butterfield obviously had two of his own. 
there, including Downfall. Um, and there were a lot of people who were just showing up to game who also brought their own prototypes. A friend of mine brought a prototype for a tactical uh, World War II kind of card dice game that's kind of like upfront, but like you use dice to take actions called Firefight Tactical that he'd been working on. There was a guy who brought his uh, design from the constant game jam uh, called At the Court of the Great King that people were checking out. Um, Cross Bronx Expressway yeah, was exactly. there with a prototype with, with the designer. And that was really interesting to meet him because he's so secret. Uh, and the game looks great. Uh, it's fantastic. But just like every time you turned around, there are people trying out prototypes of stuff. And it uh, just seemed like it was, you know, I don't know if it's that there's more people taking their a stab at design now or people just happen to come to this event who are designers. But it was really cool to walk around and see all of that new stuff that was there. Uh, Jerry White was there with Infernal Machine and, and so forth. So there's a lot. It feels like you're dancing all the way around. You had your design there with you also. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yes, if you bring it up, yes, I was I was one of those as well. I am working on obviously a, a levying campaign game in that series about uh, medieval Byzantium. So I have the prototype there. Speaking of version control on designs, I spent the last 48 hours before flying down to Hanford doing hours and hours of arts and crafts to up, update the prototype to, to match the most up-to-date visual version on Tabletop Simulator. So yeah, so I did some demos and some walkthroughs of that. That was really fun. I, I got it in front of Rachel, uh, who does marketing at GMT. She had never played Levian Campaign before. There were some other folks there who were playing their first Levian Campaign games of Nevsky and so forth. So they came over to check it out. Um, it, it was awesome. You know, it's uh, it's getting there. It's um, I'm crossing my fingers that we're going to we're gonna be on P500 here pretty soon. So I, I was about sure. to ask if you were officially in the queue. I know you're not on P500 yet, but are, are you officially in the queue for GMT or is this still you're hoping they're going to pick it up at some point? No, signs are good that it's going to be that it's going to be going up there pretty soon. Um, Gene actually teased it in one of the newsletters in the last couple of months being down there and talking to them. Uh, it's basically waiting on the production pipeline to move along just to you know yeah. shuffle down so something else can get in there from that series. So as soon as that happens, you know, it's looking like we'll be on P500 for that one. That's, Justin, that's was nice. there anybody else? Uh, was there any other Levian campaign prototypes there? It seemed like I was seeing a lot of Levian campaign and I couldn't, I knew yours was a prototype and I knew there was some Nevsky going on and some Almoravid going on, but it seemed like there was a lot of Levian campaign going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was someone else uh, who also, who had brought, the guy who had brought the uh, At the Court of the Great King card game prototype for the from the constant game jam he's also working on a levying campaign game um that one is actually set during the reign of of uh philip of uh, macedon sort of like 400s bc and so it's kind of taking the system outside of the medieval era there's a lot of designers kind of stretching it in that way but he had sort of an early prototype of of uh, a game that he's been working on for that and we chatted a little bit about that he's actually bringing that to sd hiscon as well and i think the sd hiscon uh schedule is going to have some sort of levying campaign demo t- um timeline sessions there for everyone who's bringing games down so uh, yeah i wasn't the only one the, the other game that i saw on the table a lot well two other games that i saw on the table a lot were um seemed like space Corps got a ton of play over the weekend uh but the other one that i was really happy about just uh, you know go canada because of the designer was uh, uh bayonets and tomahawks got to play on all four days there would just seem to be one or two tables of that around all the time. Yeah, it was so interesting. I like I walked in on on Thursday afternoon when I got there, and I, like literally to my right as I walked through the door, there were like two games going on at tables now right next to each other. Do you know if like someone was like, "Hey, let's, let's play lots of bayonets and tomahawks," or is it just like this weird zeitgeist thing? I, I think it was just a zeitgeist thing, and I, also I think you know that first scenario is 
pretty playable if if you like there was a lot of people said they were learning it for the first time so mm-hmm. it seemed like it was a game that a lot of people came to the uh came to the weekend going that's the game i want to learn this weekend I yeah I, 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 I didn't see any chatter online about it before the convention going let's play this yeah it's so surprising it's great on the table either yeah yeah absolutely it's a great game it's, it's fantastic i i was telling people there like that game and wilderness war are basically about the exact same thing and they get to sort of the same endpoint in terms of that modeling of that history and conflict and they go about it in such completely different ways it's so it's such a great side by side if you're looking at like how game design can be so variety uh, varied and um different and yet accomplish the same goals it's like incredible when you when you like look at those both side by side it's we also had kind several of run throughs of iterations that's the word i'm looking for we had several iterations of bayonets and tomahawks at origins this past summer and i think mike managed to he had like three three-hour sessions set up um, he had some other stuff he was doing also, but he, we had like three three-hour sessions of Anets and Tomahawks, and I think he filled them all four seats each. Even for a two-player game, we'll put four players on there, and we'll we'll put two on a side together just so we can get more people in the game. And uh, and I think he managed to fill all three sessions uh, maxed out at four players each for Bayonet. And again, it's one of those ones that you leave it set up on the table, and people are going to stop and ask and go, "Hey, what's that? When are you doing that again?" And then they want to come back and check it out because it's it's a damn good looking game. We had it at a at our local war game day here gamers armory you, anybody that's around the dragoons for more than 20 minutes knows that i'm going to pimp gamers armory because they're right down the street from me here but they're they're a fantastic store they're they're one of the best war game stores in the country and uh we've got a, a monthly war game day that we promote over there um the first weekend of each month and we got bayonets and tomahawks on the game uh, on the table there uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, again tons of people stopping by going hey wow that looks kind of cool what is that and uh and, and, you know, getting to explain to them what we were doing. So it's, it's definitely got the visual appeal to it. And it's a, you know, it's a fun game to go along with that. So I think the shapes of the, the having the square triangle and circular counters, uh, like it's just something different that, you know, when people, it doesn't look like your mm-hmm. typical hex encounters. So I think it catches people's eye. But uh, w- one thing I also wanted to say about it was, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, the designer uh, mentioned, you know, being influenced by Wilderness War when he designed it. But then I've also seen online Voco is a big fan of Bayonets and Tomahawks. So it seems like uh, the designers of the two games kind of appreciate each other's games as well. Yeah, mutual admiration society going there. Yeah, that's all right. That's that's a good sign. Yeah, no, I think it is. All right. So, Grant, did you have any prototypes with you? I did not have any prototypes with me. No. Uh, my, for me, the 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 most fun in terms of the, the game that uh, I just learned and played, there was a big eight-player game of Tank Duel. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike Berticelli, I think that's his name, yeah, was uh, demoing that all weekend and and his other, his uh, naval game. But he set us up and uh, I got to shoot the hell out of Harold a couple times there. And that was really fun. And yeah, it was great. I, I've had the Tank Duel game just have never you know i've messed around with it played with the robota bots solo a bit and it, you know it was like yeah that's how i get what he's doing it's all fun but when you have eight people around a table trash talking and shooting each other uh all of a sudden it's oh yeah this is more like like it's detailed but it's a party game it's you guys you guys were the loudest table uh that night when you were playing <laughs> candace from candace from board game geek was at the convention she was playing with you right uh yeah she was she was right beside me yeah yeah, it was a good time watching you and hearing hearing the yelling going on over there. I, I've heard folks say that it's a better tabletop implementation of World of Tanks than World of Tanks' own tabletop game was from several years ago. So 
That's, yeah, that uh, doesn't surprise me. It's 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 tons of fun, and it's not that hard once you get into it. It's, you know, just, it's a it's easy to play, and when you have a big table full of people, you don't have to sit. You know, you've got a little. It's not like downtime because there's always somebody going to shoot you, but there's enough time to you can see what's going on and not panic and rush your move. As the Armchair Dragoons march into the ninth season of their podcast, Mentioned in Dispatches, we need to make time to thank our Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Patrick Garrity, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knoll, Hethwell Wargames, Robert, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell, Treb Curry, Staggerwing, and Patrick Mullen for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. All right. So Grant, you got a little bit of levying campaign in, you got some tank duel in what, what else did you get a chance to play over the weekend? What, what run us through the inventory and like, sure, you don't even have sure. to get as much commentary on them, but no, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, 10 the, or 20 of them. <laughs> the first, uh, well, well, I played a couple of long ones, so that took some of the time on uh, the first day I was there, I played uh, the 18, 1862 scenario of the U.S. Civil War, Mark Simonich's game. I had a buddy that I'd met online here a, a year ago that I'd been playing Blind Swords with, and he said he, he'd always been intrigued by the uh, by the big grand strategy game because he always plays battle games. So I said, yeah, well, when we get to the con, I'll uh, I'll teach it to you. And uh, we had to go with that. I played the South and managed to uh, uh, keep, uh, squeak out a win on that. But you know that's a great that's a great system. Totally love that. Uh, I think I, that night I didn't play anything else because I was a bit uh, wiped, and I also did a, a an interview that day with somebody, so that took care of that. And then the next day I played uh, the Clash of Giants, the Gettysburg scenario with Harold, and that was fantastic. I can't for the life of me figure out why that series hasn't caught on more that it's a, I know there's the couple of world war one games that I think are both out of print still, but it's like, that's a really good, that's a really good system that this should be played more. Uh, I played the Rebs again in that one and, uh, and I lost. So uh, that's uh, so I was one and one and then, uh, and then uh, met another fellow uh, who I'd met online and we, he'd wanted to learn uh, Washington war. So uh, I taught him, took him through a two or three turns of Washington war. And that was that day. The next day was uh, tank duel and brief border wars where I played the, uh, I think it was the Chinese China China Vietnam scenario, and that ended up in a draw. And then uh, the final day just had time for one before I hit the road again, so I played another uh, brief Borders War scenario. Uh, this one was the uh, the Lebanon scenario, Israelis Hezbollah scenario. And what was really interesting about that was the same system, the brief Borders War system, two different scenarios, and so they played so completely differently from one another. In the uh, China Vietnam one, the the sides in all the, in all these scenarios, of course, it's completely asynchronous or, or, or sorry a, uh, asymmetrical. But in the uh, China Vietnam one, the units were like fours and fives versus threes and twos. So there was a, there was attacks, losses, retreats both ways. Whereas when you get to the Lebanon scenario, the Israelis are all fours and the Hezbollahs are all ones. So it's like you take one hit and you're gone. It's a it's a very different sort of situation. So it was it was really cool to see that same system system in two play completely differently in two different settings yeah yeah the, it's an interesting system in that you really have to learn how to work the terrain and not not necessarily complex versus urban versus open but sort of the way the spaces connect for where you can 
where you can can fall back and maneuver versus where you need to stand your ground, where you can can try and establish some sort of strong point to really make the enemy bleed for it versus where you're willing to cede ground because there's other ways to get where you need to go. Um, There's a lot more maneuver in that game than I think a lot of people realize. I think so too. And and then of course, the other thing about that game is it's got that really interesting card system where it's six cards are dealt and... Uh, some of them are gray and some of them are white and one side gets the gray cards and one side gets the white and it might come out a turn where there's five gray, one white, or it might be three and three. You don't know. So you, the best play, the best laid plans of mice and men are, you know, it's, uh, you, yeah. you might have a you might have thought you maneuvered into the right ground and then you only get one card and you've got nothing you can do with it yeah exactly exactly justin give us give us a rundown of of what all you played you don't have to dig into a ton of detail with them but just give yeah. us the laundry list to make everybody jealous <laughs> yeah well i'll do it real quick before i start i just want to say your your game grant of brief border wars i had not heard of that game before and i took a look at it and i didn't realize that was a brian train design and I saw that the second one is going to come from Compass pretty soon. And Brian Train is one of my favorite designers. So watching you guys play that is going to make me uh, dive into that and see if I can either find a copy or find someone who has it to play it. It looks really cool. Um, let's see. What did I play? Uh, so the first night I played uh, a game of Pendragon that just picked up like near a table I was sitting at. And I hadn't played that in a while and I'd wanted to. Um, I've still only ever played that game as the Saxons and I have yet to win it. Um, and I was trying again to win it as the Saxons and it did not work. Um, and then the next night I play, well, yeah, the next afternoon I started up a full campaign game of Barbarians at the Gates, which is the, mm. uh, Collapse of Rome CDG that Compass put out this year. And I played all 11 turns with a guy, um, uh, forget his name, um, who was there. And, uh, we spent basically all day playing that, um, for my money, that is my favorite game that has come out in 2022. Um, it is so good and so, um, sort of under the radar with people. and But in terms of like a, a card-driven game and an Ancients game, it is absolutely stellar. Um, and I, I had it won as the Romans. I was going to save the Empire and, and the 476 turn rolled around and on like the second to last card play, I lost it. So it was very dramatic and very epic. Um, and then uh, played a couple other smaller things. I played um, I played a couple of turns of No Retreat uh, France with Candice from Board Game Geek because she had wanted to learn the series. So I took her through that uh, and she really enjoyed it. And I played um, some Space Corp uh, with a guy who actually bought bought it at the warehouse that day, and I convinced him to open it and, and I taught taught it to him and play it, and that was fun. Such a great great game. And then uh, the last game that I played was uh, it was the game that came in the most recent issue of Special Ops Magazine from MMP. It was uh, Blitzkrieg: The Moscow Two uh, by the guy who designed 300 Earth and Water that came out from nuts um who's he's such a genius at like minimalist game design and so that's mainly why i bought the magazine so i finally cracked that out and played it and it's a little fun little like um it's like a it's like a card driven barbarossa game that plays in like an hour and there's each side only has six cards and it's only six turns and every turn both sides get like a fixed number of cards so you have to choose the cards of the six that you want to use for that turn and they all do multiple things and so you're trying to figure out like what can i accomplish with my small or large hand of cards this turn it's um again just really genius minimalist design if you want to play like a, a barbarossa game that you can finish like you know after dinner before bed it's it's like perfect that's uh, your your game of interesting uh, claim <laughs> your game of uh, barbarian at the gates did the same thing uh, as the as the brief border words did one of the guys that i was playing with had kept going over and having a look at your game and it's it like <laughs> I, I gotta order that from compass <laughs> yeah it's I, it's so good i like i it just kind of came out and no one really talked about it and you know late roman empire is like totally right in my wheelhouse you know like collapse fall of the west that kind of stuff and it just it is so tense it's one of those games kind of like war of the ring or or like caesar conquest of or uh, caesar rome versus gaul where it's just like balanced on such a knife edge and like everything you do feels like it could be the end of the game or when it's win it for you so yeah it's just very uh 
stressful, but in, in a fun way. I know did Mo did a bunch of coverage of Barbarians of the Gates when it first yeah. came out, and, and he was very complimentary of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't found anybody saying anything bad about it. I do think it's kind of funny that you guys both go to GMT week, Weekend at the Warehouse, you watch each other play something from Compass and end up ordering it. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, because uh, when they open the warehouse for shopping on Saturday, that's when everyone's like, okay, time to go hog wild, uh, you know, with my wallet. For GMT. So, so I was going to ask about that. One of the, the famous moments of the GMT weekend at the warehouse is, all right, guys, go pick your new toys. And uh, and it's sort of, you know, toys for cots for adults. Um, so, so Justin, what was the loot? What did you walk out of there with? Yeah, well, okay. So I, I purposely went with not a lot of space in my bag. So I didn't do anything stupid, right? And so that I wouldn't walk away with like a wheelbarrow full of stuff. But my first go around in the warehouse, I picked up my P500 pre-order of PQ17 Norway, which I've been waiting for like five years for. And so I grabbed that while I was there. Um, I also picked up a copy of Conquest of Paradise. For people who don't know, GMT has got the stuff that's in stock. And then they have a reserve stock of stuff that Gene has set aside for special occasions, special events. But if you go to the weekend at the warehouse, you get to shop off that list. And frequently, it's a lot of stuff that's out of print or that's really hard to find. And so they had, I think, like one copy of Conquest of Paradise left, um, which I picked up because I've been looking for it for a long time. It's just a really interesting topic. So, and then I went, yep. Yeah, there you go. Look at it. Yeah, exactly. That one. Uh, and uh, and so that was it. I was like, that's what I'm buying. Uh, I'm done. And then the next, like, later that afternoon, so there were two guys who were playing Stalingrad 42, the full campaign yeah, on like big. two tables. And every time I walked by that table, it looked like they were having a lot of fun. It was really interesting. And I could see how the front was moving over the course of the game. And I was like, do I really need to own Stalingrad 42? And eventually, like by the fourth time I walked by there, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. So I picked up Stalingrad 42 and the... Um, the expansion that just came out as the new scenario and, and sort of the update to the rules and player aids. Um, and then I also, for a friend, I picked up a copy of Flying Colors because GMT was doing a, a cool discount for if you had a, had a friend who couldn't make it or you wanted to bring them a game home, they'd give you a, a pretty decent chunk off. So I picked up Flying Colors for him because he's a big Age of Sail guy. But I have to tell you, when I was packing, I was like really worried. I was like, I, I have bought more stuff than I can possibly fit in my bags. And so when I was packing up my stuff to come home, I I managed to get everything in my bags, but it was like bursting at the seams, like cubically, like the bag I had brought my clothes and stuff in, all, the only thing in it was games. And I just like shoved everything to a backpack, like as tight as it would possibly go along with my prototype and like the po- poster tube that had the map in it and stuff. So I literally could not fit anything else in, into my luggage. Grant, Grant didn't quite have that problem since, uh, since he had the car. So yeah, how, uh, the SUV. How, how low was the back of your car riding <laughs> against the highway on the way home there? <laughs> well, um, so it it was low for a variety of reasons, but one of them was because uh, this is totally non-GMT uh, related, but uh, I'd been wanting to get a copy of A Most Fearful Sacrifice because those guys don't send, they don't, they won't sell direct to Canada. I wasn't on the P500. Uh, the P500 comes to Canada because it's a whole different thing with their, whoever does their, uh, re- their release for them. Right. But mm. uh, for, off their website, they don't sell it. So I'd been, I've been trying for six months to, to get a copy of that game and wasn't able to get it. Managed to buy it from somebody arrange online before the con to pick it up there. And I don't know if you, if I'm sure you probably have that game or have seen it. It feels like it's about 15 pounds, that box. It's super heavy. So that in itself. Um, uh, but then of course, yeah, I, I 
I had to do a little shopping. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty up to date on P500s and stuff like that. So my shopping was a lot of stuff where it was like games that I'd considered in the past and went, oh, do I really need? All of a sudden when it's when you're getting it for 50% off or whatever the discount is, I went, okay, uh, at that price, I think I can, I can afford to uh, check this out. So uh, I bought uh, five games uh, from, well, also I'm a first timer. They give you one for free. So I bought oh, four wow. games and uh, I got one for free. I got um, Conquest and Consequences, the, mm-hmm. the follow-up, uh, yeah. And then uh, Kharkov, the uh, expansion to the fighting formation system. Okay. I'd always wanted that because it has uh, smaller scenarios than the original fighting formations. I'd always wanted to try out the Panzer system. So this was my chance to do that. Uh, like Candice, I, I, I haven't played uh, No Retreat France. I've got uh, three of the other volumes, but I'd always miss that one. So I picked that up. And then finally... Uh, I got into the woods the the Shiloh game from the GBACW because I I the only yep. GBACW I have is like old old you know comes in a blue cover and was cost me about twelve bucks in nineteen eighty one. You uh you can't go grab yourself a PO box at like the uh, the UPS store in Blaine Washington right across the border and just have everything shipped there. And... Well, uh, uh, unfortunately, right across the border for me is about a three hour drive. Ah uh, well. Yeah, it's a Cal- Calgary's not a border is not. A border no, city. no, it's not. <laughs> it's it's up there a ways. But I, uh, uh, you know, it's funny you should say that though, because I got a buddy who does a lot of work in the states, and he's done exactly that. So I'm going to start asking him if I can use his PO box, and I'll just wait for when he, you know, I'll just take it when it comes if yeah. he makes those trips across the border. We usually have a couple of Canadians as a part of our origins crew coming down from Ottawa and Toronto. And, uh, and so those guys will always go home with a giant stack of stuff, either for themselves or for some of their friends that they're not having to pay shipping. They don't really have to pay customs because they just throw them in the car and they're just tourists yeah. today. So they always go home with a metric monkey ton of stuff. <laughs> well, and, and shipping has gone up, right? It's like, oh yeah, like everything else, uh, you know, GMT used to take a bit of a loss on the shipping to Canada. Now, I don't know if they whether they still take a loss or not. The things that used to come for about twenty five bucks Canadian are now it's like forty bucks Canadian yeah. or twenty five bucks US, right? And it's you know that's substantial on a fifty dollar game and oh, another yeah. twenty five bucks for shipping. It's uh, it adds up. No, it's great, great. Did I am I understanding correctly that you drove to Hanford from Calgary? I did. It was wow. uh, twenty four hours of driving. Oh my each, god! Each way. That is impressive dedication. I have to tell well, you. You know, I mean, I could have flown, but I thought, you know, this is, I get to drive through Idaho, Washington, Oregon, California. It was, it was gorgeous. It was, it was a beautiful drive. I love to drive. I got no problem with it. So yeah, it was great. Some number of summers ago, I I live out on the East coast. Most of my wife's family is from, from out in California. Um, That's where we met before we moved back East. And uh, we were headed to California for my, my nephew's christening. And, uh, and we took a look at plane tickets plus rental car. The rental car was actually what was through the roof, but it was the summer before I was starting grad school. And we kind of looked at the calendar. We're like, well, look, I'm back from all my National Guard stuff on this day. We got to be in California by this day. We had nothing else to do. Let's drive. What the heck? And so, yeah, 17 states with the top down. It was, this was pre-kids, right? So we didn't have to worry about kids in the car. It was, and, and now we've got one in college. So that tells you how long ago this was. It was, it was a ton of fun. Had a blast. Saw a lot of great stuff. We'll never do it again. 
<laughs> I've done it once. I had a great time, but I'm I'm good, right? When you're on the north side of 50, man, sitting in a car for that long just doesn't do it anymore. Throw me on a plane and call it good enough. Well, I'm a uh, planes are not great for me. I'm like uh, six foot six, six foot oh, seven. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like uh, the longer the plane ride, the more I'm just like a crumpled mess by the end. So yeah. uh, it, it, I thought it was more relaxing to spend all that time in the car, actually. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, if you can break it up, it's absolutely worth it. Look, man, we, we do Origins Buckeye Game Fest every year from here. My, my folks live in Columbus. It's it's an eight hour drive for me, um, almost exactly door to door. And and drive that way at this point i've done it enough over the last 15 years i literally do it with my eyes closed <laughs> that's kind of the upper limit on what i'm willing to do but it is funny when we talk to some of the dragoons from over in europe and, and we're talking about yeah you know that's that's about an eight-hour drive They're like we cross the country in eight hours <laughs> oh yeah they'd be through four countries in eight hours yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah depending well, you, on know the, you know the funny thing grant i don't know if you got a chance to talk to him but you were not the only calgary uh, citizen at the warehouse this weekend. Um, Paul Daniels, the guy who's designing Bear Trap, uh, which is on P500, which is the block game about the Soviet-Afghan war. Uh, he was also there, and he had a he had the prototype for that. And he was he's also from Calgary. He he didn't drive; he flew. And I was actually on his return flight, so he had to fly through Seattle to go home. But we had a long conversation about design and some of the prototypes that he he had with him and and so forth. I saw, I I don't know him, but I saw him there with with the prototype for Bear Trap. I didn't get a chance to play it. I I, I sort of wanted to, but um, you can only do so much. But right. I had no idea he was from Calgary. That's that's interesting. Yeah. He's a teacher in Calgary, and I guess on the side design game. His, you know, his other prototype was a game about the uh, colonial French fur trade in Canada, Hudson Bay Company. That looked really interesting. It's kind of a two-player card-driven game, and it's super fascinating what he's done with the with the model. Where unlike most CDGs, where it's like ops or events, the number of ops you get on a card, you tell your opponent how many ops you want the card to be, and then your opponent says yes or no. And if they say no. It like it gives you something else that's like a, a conflict track. It sounded really interesting, and I, I want to play test it with him on TTS. Oh, good for him! You're you're starting to say it, it's not like we planned this, but you are starting to say again to something that I was going to ask you guys about, which is some of the prototypes and pre-release things that you saw there. That whether they're going to end up getting picked up by GMT or somebody else, you know, some some of the things that were there are a little further along than others. Justin, your, your game, for instance, is probably a little further along than some of the other prototypes you saw. Some of them are probably already on P500, and this is just a chance to, to build some buzz for them. Some of them are probably little more than pencil sketches, and, hey, I've got an idea. Let's push counters around and see what happens. So uh, the Hudson Bay Company one's a great example. What, what were some of the prototypes that, that you either got a chance to play or watched being played that kind of caught your eye and you found interesting or intriguing? Yeah, the so the two that I think – so. Uh... Um, the two that I thought were most that were coolest and like really stuck with me, one was a um, one of the GMT's developers, Ken Coons, who lives up here in Seattle. He has a prototype that he's just kind of working on. I don't know if he's going to publish it, but it's a trick taking game that's about rounders, like the precursor to baseball. So there's this really interesting thing where like you're you're playing in teams of two, so it's a two v two trick taking game, and then based on what happens in the trick. You know, you get runners go around the bases basically on like a little sheet in the middle. Still super early, but he was playing a game of that with some folks and he was telling me about it. And I think it's like just such an interesting uh, topic and mechanic combination. Um, so that was just, that was kind of cool. And then the other one, which I've already mentioned, was uh, Cross Bronx Expressway. That game, so it's taking the coin system and really stretching it into like something new. It, I watched uh, a demo with Candace from BGG, John Butterfield, and I forget who the, the third player was, but they're all playing against each other. And what I didn't know about that game is that 
every player takes uh, sort of a different aspect of society. So it's a three-player game. One person is sort of the private business interests of, of the Bronx. One person is the sort of community population. And then one person is local government. What happens is it really quickly, so sort of the social commentary about that game, about sort of providing housing and, and urban development in the Bronx for people who are underprivileged or, uh, or opening businesses, stuff like that, quickly floats right to the top of the design because, you know, one of the players is like, well, I would like to build some housing here for these, these vulnerable populations. And uh, when they when you do that, you open up slots on the board where you can put down. So that's like a base, right? Like you build housing in a coin game. It'd be like playing a base. And then you can place your quote unquote gorillas, which are really in this game, they're more like uh, companies or services. So, you know, however, you're going to support that local population. What's really interesting is that each sort of space on the board can have two, uh, two companies or two gorillas. And depending on which combination of players puts their things in those spots, it spawns like a token that is, is the result of a partnership between, let's say, local government and private enterprise or the community and private enterprise. And everyone's victory conditions are tied into how much population is taking advantage of which of those combinations of things. It's just a really fascinating implementation of coin that is like really unlike anything the system uh, has done yet. Um, I mean, the closest thing I can think which was, was Gandhi, which is like nonviolent insurgency. This is like totally way outside of that in a way that is super interesting and compelling. And like the way that you start to think about the game and how the mechanics tie together using coins engine to do something completely separate. Sounds really cool. Yeah. So Grant, what were some of the uh, not yet a real game things that you saw that, that you really uh, dug or thought? There was no, there's no prototype for this, but it was interesting listening to uh, Jerry White, the, the designer of uh, Atlantic Chase, uh, talk about what he's uh, kind of tackling next. And it sounds like his next thing is going to be submarines and that it's going to be the very beginnings of submarines. So it, it sounds like if he, he goes down the track that he's started on, he's looking at designing a game that's uh, basically civil a Civil War submarine game, I think. And uh, right. given given what he did with Atlantic Chase, it's like uh, anything could happen, you know? Like yeah. he he totally changed naval games for me with that game. So uh, I think he Can we totally just get change. him to rewrite everybody's rule books? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, I went up to him at the con and said pretty much exactly that. It's like, you did programmed instruction without making us feel like it was programmed instruction. Plus, you gave us a rule book that's a good reference, like that, which is always the problem with PI yeah. rule books is they're terrible references. But with him, between the tutorial book and the rule book, you've got everything and you've been sucked into playing the game just like that it's uh, i mean he it's the master class in rule books for sure yeah yeah let's just give that guy every rule book we've <laughs> in our lives and and 500 bucks right and just you know here's well, yeah, the, you do this the, rule book <laughs> the layout as well right he's like there's plenty of white space there's plenty of pictures uh, you, you you don't get lost when you're looking something for something on a page. Yep. Like he, he, his uh, his design is uh, he's well. You know, I talked to Kai Jensen as well, and she's doing some of that work for GMT now as well with yeah. this new job she has with them. And I I asked her about that, and she, she was like, oh. I, it, that just kind of comes naturally to me. And it's like, well, <laughs> you don't realize what a gift it is because Ooh. the difference between reading a, a book that's easy on the eyes and pulls you along and one where it feels like, oh my God, this is like heavy going. It's, it just makes all the difference in the world to learning. I've taught graphic design at the college level. It, it is absolutely, it can be learned. It's like everything else. Some people have a better natural talent for it than others. You know, it, as great as the Atlantic Chase rulebook is, 
Uh, we talked earlier about how much fun bayonets and tomahawks can be and how good it looks on a table. The player aid cards for bayonets and tomahawks suck. They are awful. Yeah, they're they, yeah they're they're so busy, right? They've crammed seventeen cards worth of info onto you know a card and a half, and it's yeah. ridiculous. It, it's yeah. painful to find anything on those cards, and it 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 really it it makes some of the game really feel like work when it shouldn't have to. And it's one of those so, games. There's a there's a couple of good uh, players' aids on BGG that it's like when I play that game, I like to have that aid, right? It's oh like, yeah, no, it's didn't even think it, it wasn't my copy of Bayonets Tomahawks we were playing, so I, I wouldn't have thought to go look ahead of time. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's it, it, it's one of those cases where the uh, the community has probably stepped up to correct a grievous error. <laughs> yeah. Justin, you had your prototype with you. How, yes. how did that go? What what kind of feedback did you get on it? Did anybody give you one of those aha moments that made you really rethink or change something significant? Was there a lot of confirmation of, hey, I'm on the right path? How did all that go? Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's an interesting question. So I didn't get a chance to play uh, like a full game uh, going in. Um, I gave a couple of like sort of one to two turn demos to people who were new and kind of an overview, a love and campaign boot camp, let's call our crash course. Um, and you know, a lot of people came away from that being like, wow, this is really interesting. Um, it's so different. And, uh, I was like, yeah, that's kind of part of what sparked sort of the inspiration for me with what it was modeling. Um, some other folks just came over and wanted to know about it. So we talked a little bit about the history. A couple of the guys that came over are actually Greek Orthodox. And so we talked about sort of the history of Greek Orthodox um, and the Byzantine Empire and uh, like just kind of that kind of stuff. But in general, um, you know, it seemed to be pretty well received. People were interested in the topic. I think having a near final map really helped because it looked, you know, when you put it on the table that it catches your eye. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're at the stage that the game is at right now. Um, it's kind of in that, in that space where the core design is pretty much there. I'm trying to get the balance right on the varying scenarios and the campaign and making sure that all of those work properly and that some of the, the systems are um, not leading to like one side winning too much. So uh, like at this point, uh, I'm more looking for people to play each other head to head because, you know, you kind of get tunnel vision when you're like designing your own game. You kind of start to do the same things. You like are too familiar with it. So you don't get to poke at it in the right ways. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that everyone said it looked interesting. They, ha you know, the one thing I've gotten continuously since I've started showing it basically for a year now is a lot of people come up and they're like, oh, I haven't tried Levian Campaign yet, but I own Nevsky or I own Almoravid, but I have yet to play it. So I still think there's like so much room for that series to catch on with people um, and to like really challenge them. There were a couple of guys, I, you know, I talked to a couple of guys who were playing Nevsky for the first time and they had questions and we were talking about sort of how to play well and like. Um, you know, just some of the nuances of the system that you really only get after you played it three or four times. Um, and they really liked, they really liked their experience. And so I'm hoping that as people sort of find the time to get these games to the table, there's going to be an increased interest, especially because the system is sort of marketing itself as tackling subjects that are kind of esoteric. Yeah. You're, you're probably at that stage now where you're trying to get people to, to do completely wacky and off the wall things just to see if there's that one totally outside the bounds of consideration strategy that completely breaks things that you never really thought to try you know it's funny that you mentioned that uh the developer that i'm working on um most frequently on it he he messaged me the other day and he's like i think i have a strategy that's unbeatable for the seljuk turks and i'm like are you gonna tell me what it is he's like no we're gonna do a play test and i'm gonna try and do it to you <laughs> and so i'm eagerly awaiting to when we can make our schedules line up for him to do that to me um, and i hope 
I mean, I do hope it works because that's something that clearly need to be fixed. But also part of me is like, well, I hope it doesn't work as well as he thinks because then if it's like seriously broken, I probably have to go back to the drawing board on a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. So Grant, you were there recording podcast episodes. I was, but I, I just remembered one other prototype that I saw that okay. uh, I forgot, I've got to tell you about was uh, Trevor Bender was there with uh, his latest iteration. He designed uh, Kharkov, The Tigers Are Burning in C3I yep. Magazine a couple issues ago. He's taking that system and he's moving it to north africa and he's so he's got a north africa game based on that same uh that same system and it okay. looks really cool the the map looks it's a it's kind of like about the same size as the uh rommel in the desert map if uh, most people know that map it's sort of that's that just that stretch of the western desert and uh but it's got that same posture system where you have to the the more aggressive you are the less replacements and reinforcements you get the more you pause and replace the less you can do so it's got that great trade-off system but with a with a much more robust uh, supply system compared okay. to uh, what he had on the eastern front of course because you know the, the western desert's all about supply 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 but that looked great and uh, uh and he was a lot i he's another guy that i i got to interview and uh, uh he's uh, he's a great interview and uh, he the guy is so um trevor so into playing and designing like he's just so he's such a fan of the hobby yeah is, I, uh, is that is that game grant is the north africa one is that going to be another c3i thing or is he looking for like a box version no it's going to be another c3i thing i think uh i think he'd said that roger mcgowan had said to him like uh you know can we can we make this some sort of a series or something and so he had to decide on what what he was going to do next, and uh, he had a couple of other ideas. And then uh, either him or Roger went, no, no, the desert. Let's do the desert. And so it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna come out in uh, C3i. And I think it's, I think Trevor said it's gonna. They hope to have the issue out in December, if you know, like knock on wood, if nothing, if nothing supply chainy goes uh, sideways, and it'll be. It's going to be in the next issue, I think. I okay. think. Okay. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah I, it was... I, it'd be nice to have a, another game in C3I magazine that isn't uh, uh, Empire of the Sun. I mean, yeah. I, I love Empire of the Sun, and I've I, and I've loved the scenarios that have been published in there. But uh, uh, at some point, we got to get something else going. The, the irony of of him uh, having those there, by the way, is I actually brought Curse the Tiger, Tigers Are Burning, the C3I version, to the warehouse, hoping I could get a game in. And when I walked in, I saw that he had it set up, and he had the deluxe version set up. So I don't know if you've seen. That C3I is doing like deluxe box versions of some of the, the games, uh, like they've done Mark Herman's, uh, you know, Napoleon at Waterloo or the Waterloo campaign and, and stuff. And so it looks so nice. And I was like, here I am with my dinky magazine version trying to get a game. And Trevor's like, sit down and play the real one. I I, I had the I had the uh, the magazine one like you. And then uh, at the online uh, San Diego Histcon, they had a little. He he gave a presentation on the game, and then there was like this little mini tournament, and I ended up winning that mini tournament. So. Trevor sent me the uh, a copy of the boxed one is for winning the the tournament. The, uh, there's only four people in the tournament, so I'm not really bragging much to say that I won. But it was, you went, it was you lovely. Went You're undefeated. You went two and zero. Oh, that counts. <laughs> you still had to beat somebody to get there. That's yeah, right. that's right. Uh, but yeah, I really like that game. It's a it's a fun game. It's a, it's good. We some some years ago probably three, four years ago, it was shortly before the pandemic, uh, these guys that do RPG stuff, uh, Yarrow Studios, um, 
most of what they do are these giant like eight, 12 by 18 fold out books of tactical battle maps for rpg stuff and and they're really well done map books a couple of years ago they came out with the infinite dungeon and what it is it's it's three feet wide but it's it's rolled up it's like 30 feet long and it's on a pair of rollers it's a giant scroll that you could put on the table like <laughs> the table. And so you can roll the dungeon as you're as you're exploring the whole thing it's almost video game like i have long been convinced that someone really 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 needs to do a north africa war game <laughs> get you from morocco to the suez canal with the whole thing on rollers so you could just roll the map back and forth as everybody as everybody moves through the desert. That's a genius idea. That's a genius also idea. Make for I great mean, if you've video. ever seen DAC two laid out end to end, yeah, you need like nine tables, but they all need to be end to end to get the whole thing in there. You know, you could you could do it in a hallway because you <laughs> don't need more than one table width, but you need like nine tables long to do it. So you could kind of do that. You change the scale and do that with a market garden game as well. Yeah, it's yeah. that long corridor. That, that's true i i hadn't thought about it for market garden but yeah you're right you could do it with that as well for italy um, anything that takes place in the boot of italy would also work yeah that that, that might I, I just i really think that you know north africa put put the entire north africa theater on rollers and just roll the game back and forth so grant you you were there recording some podcast episodes. Uh, give us a preview of what's coming up on Pushing Cardboard. Yeah, so I had I talked to uh, Trevor Bender about his North Africa game and you know what he what he's been doing and where he's involved. So uh, I'll I'll get that out. I talked to Kai Jensen as I mentioned, and it was it was uh, that conversation was interesting because she she went into a fair bit of detail about um, what it was, what her life was like uh, uh, working sort of as, as Chad's developer when he was alive, they were, they worked very hand in hand and, and then how she sort of, it took like about a year and a half uh, after his passing before she could really face even looking at any of that stuff again. And then once she did, it was like, okay, what, what do I do with all this stuff? And, uh, and I guess uh, John Butterfield had been a good uh, Chad and John Butterfield had become good friends and design kind of pals uh, in the past. So he was just the perfect guy to kind of step in and, uh, you know, help with downfall. And and even, I think he might've done, I don't, well, I don't know if it was him, but somebody who had been uh, involved with uh, fighting formations help there as well. Anyway, it was, it's kind of, it was kind of interesting to talk to her about what the journey has been to try and get uh, her husband's designs that were almost over the over the goal line to the goal line and and see how that's happening. And then I talked. I had a long a long chat with uh, Steve Carey, who also kind of he's kind of a jack of all trades in the business as well, with a couple of designs here and there, developer credits here and there. He's written articles for C3I, but he's just a giant fan of the Blind Sword system. So he's he's done the most recent uh, the most recent volume, and then like I said, he's got this other volume on Shiloh coming out but he's uh he talked long and passionately about uh about what he likes about wargaming and, and sort of his history through it and all that as well so I guess you know most of my podcasts I, I usually do a deep dive into a game or two but I'm gonna have to uh you know either put that totally on hold for a bit or else maybe talk about one game I'm, I'm kind of gonna parcel these uh interviews out over the next few episodes rather than dump them all on everybody all at once yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wargamer war interviews you know some of the designer interviews can be really interesting because while we all have a love of wargaming we all come at it from such different backgrounds that those backgrounds can't help but influence 
what happens in your designs and the sensibilities that people bring to those designs are always so different. It's, it's always really interesting to spend a little time with the designers and kind of get under the hood and sort of figure out what makes them tick. And then how is that reflected in the designs that they have? Yeah. And find out what, uh, what, what it was, what, not what their first game was, but what, like, what was the games that they played that, that hooked them in and made them interested, right? It was like, what, what was the thing that put the hook in your mouth and uh, you've never been able to walk away from? Yeah. That was actually, I mean, if I could just jump in real quick, that, that was actually my, my favorite experience of the weekend actually was on Saturday afternoon. I ended up just uh, having a long uh, like co- group conversation with Kai and Roger from Revolution and Carl from Wargame Bootcamp um, about designing games and like getting Kai and, and Roger's insight into you know how they started and what advice they give to other people who are looking to design games. And like we talked for probably like two and a half hours. The conversation continued outside to, to tacos and um, it was just super valuable to to get that experience uh like that experiential viewpoint from them and how they approach things and talked about philosophy around all sorts of things with game design and so i think uh you know even if even if you're not designing a game those conversations at the warehouse are like super awesome to have it was so great to have guys like uh john john butterfield was so approachable as well and john butterfield or jerry white you could like just go up and talk to them about their games or about like any game like they were there was no uh there's no airs of pretension going on anywhere there was no uh um nobody that i didn't feel like i could go up and just uh say hey can i bend your ear for a minute yeah I, I think that's a big misnomer in the wargaming world for folks that haven't spent much time around any sort of convention where, where the designers are hanging out. You think, oh my God, that guy's a game designer. Holy crap. Um, but but when you meet this, these guys, like they're some of the nicest, coolest, most... <laughs> my first Origins, um, I, uh, I I was there as an exhibitor hanging out next to the Columbia Games booth. So kind of got to know Firkin a little bit because there's, there's a little three foot rail between us. So we were just kind of sitting there chatting, getting to know each other some. Later, um, walking around, I happen to see Firkin. He's talking to John Prados. I grew up playing John Prados games, like literally grew up playing John Prados games. And and I walked there and I was going to say something to Fergus, and I was and, and and I realized it was John Prados, and I'm like, oh, excuse me, I, I need to engage in a bit of hero worship here for a second. And John looked like visibly uncomfortable. It's like, wait a minute, I'm just a dude who designs games. You know, it was, it was really cool how how down to earth and friendly he was. And uh, and the next year it was similar experience. Like I was giving a talk at the Origins War College, and there was three people in the audience, but it was like Charles Camps and John Tiller and somebody else like holy crap like why are these guys here listening to me like how did that happen um but they were you know like much like you ran into with some of your designers some of the nicest coolest you know most down-to-earth dudes you know go grab lunch with them sit out and just hang out and chat about stuff it's, it's and they're great. looking to learn as well right like they're the you know it's like john butterfield was there just going like checking out other games to go like what you know what's working here what's not he 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 was and he was there to play games. He was into it. Yeah. He, he also taught he he taught four brand new new players who had never played Space Corp before. He taught them how to play so they could get up and running on their own on Saturday as well, which is pretty cool. That's that's really cool, you know. Did you Justin, did you see the Saturday night game of gosh, I can't remember it, but it's basically the Barbarossa game, I think, where it's a deck builder card game and all the cards are anime. It's little, yeah, little I think like, it's called Barbarossa, right? I think it's just called, it's Barbarossa. called Barbarossa. It's the Japanime Studios guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's fantastic. It's like yeah. when I saw that, and those guys were great. I, I I talked to those guys all weekend. They were fantastic, but it was just like, okay, things are getting totally surreal, and I am for it. This is great. This is it, this it's is what interesting. I want. So Japan. Anime Games has the Barbarossa card game, and the the one you saw with the anime characters is the regular printing of the game. Right. They did a limited edition printing about seven or eight years ago that's actually 
photos, like open source photos from the Soviet military archives. And, and that was the limited edition printing. Like they only did like 500 of those. I've got a copy of that one. I don't have the one with the, uh, with the anime girls on it. You've got, <laughs> you've, got the, you've got the one that you can play in public, Brent. Yes. Yes. That's the one. I've got the one I have to apologize for. The, those guys, that's what they said though. They said, yeah, yeah. One of them had that version and said, yeah, we're not interested in playing that. What we want, what we want is people to come by this table and give us all the, their derision and their snickers and their sneers and we'll just take it because it's as they said because at its heart it's a really good deck builder it's a great game and they and they, they play it every year at weekend at the warehouse on saturday yeah, night it, it is a great game but yeah the the one with it looks like it's you know the girls and panzer collectible card game is what it looks like and yeah and it does yeah the one i have is the one you don't have to apologize for <laughs> yeah. they, had, they had the anime version in spring as well and i remember just like walking around doing one of my video walkthroughs and i got to that table and i just st- i like i stood there for a second because i was like is there a glitch in the matrix right now like am i am i high what what am i looking at is this, this appears to be anime girls on the east front of world war ii is this what i'm looking at and they're like yeah totally and i don't know that that made it any better like it didn't help it sink in and comprehend yeah it's uh and and the ridiculous thing about it is it it's a decent game yeah yeah. yeah, that's what the that's what they were all saying was it's like it's there's a good game underneath here and we love using this version because we yeah. we love the way people stare at it and and it makes their jaw drop and whatnot. Yeah, there's a there's a certain you know sort of showmanship to it all there. Well, then it's all middle aged uh, middle aged guys that uh, yeah. it's just like you know it's like <laughs> they're just laughing the whole time. So yeah, and you know as as beer and pretzels games go, you might as well have fun with it. You know that's exactly. well and it. it it looked like that, the, you know, like there used to be, I, I don't know if it was Avalon Con or I, I remember I always used to hear about uh, like the big Saturday night slap shot tournaments that would happen at some of the cons. Like you've done all the heavy games in the day and then at night, like 20 people all get together and play this terrible game slap shot that everybody knows is a terrible game, but we always do it because it's you know the unwind let's time time to unwind and play something stupid for for a lot of years the after hours convention game was always kung fu fighting from slugfest games <laughs> that uh after the exhibit hall closed that's what we'd get out we'd get out kung fu fighting because because you can play it equally well sober or drunk right which is great um it plays really fast uh so you can play like six times in 90 minutes and so everybody gets a a, a chance to win because it's martial arts hong kong cinema style you get to do all of the cheesy voiceover from the movies. So when you when you have the card that the text literally says your kung fu is weak, you get to throw it down with your kung fu is weak and you know <laughs> throw it at somebody. Um, and 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 it's a it, it's a blast. So one year we're at Gen Con and we're talking to the guys from Slugfest and we're telling them you know this has been the regular post exhibit hall convention game for a couple of years now and so well, you know we've got kung fu fighting 2 with us we're going to be play testing tonight over at the embassy lobby why don't you come over and check it out with us like all right <laughs> no no twisting of arms needed and we get over there and, and, it, and it actually turns out there's a couple of things in the game that were a little broken that made it drag on a lot longer than it needed to and and we helped them find that so that was good but but it was you know just totally random off the wall well you know we've actually got the sequel and we're testing it come on over like, okay yeah so perfect it's uh yeah it's one of those ones that that it's it's all about just sort of being goofy and having as much fun with the people around the table as it is the specific game and so yeah exactly if you've got a good one you can do that with that that helps so as we start to wrap up here grant start with you and then 
that'll, that'll give Justin a chance to think about his answer this time instead of hitting him out of the blue first again. What's kind of the biggest takeaway or most memorable moment you've got from this year's weekend at the warehouse other than 24 hours of windshield time? <laughs> uh, I think the thing that I was really impressed by was uh, was the vi- I said it earlier, but the vibe of the place. There was a lot of people that I talked to that's, that said like, this is my family reunion. This is my, this is sort of like, this is almost like Thanksgiving for me. This is, you know, the, these are my folk. There's guys here that I only see once a year or twice a year if they come to the, the spring one. There was just that sort of, uh, that feeling of the, like a lot of people who were coming together and this was the only time they saw each other all year. And it was like, hey, I, you know, uh, it's like, I'm so glad to see you. It's like, it was not, uh, it was not big and impersonal in any way. And there was also not any feeling of like you had to know somebody to be able to find your way in there. I, I talked to, a, like it was my first time there. I'd made a couple of uh, arrangements to like to play Harold or to play my friend Will, but beyond that, I just played with you know wh- whoever came my way, and I, I found another guy who was it was his first time, and he, he was he was doing as a sort of an experiment to see if he liked cons, and he was having a good time, and you know he had managed to play a whole bunch of games, so yeah, we, I think it was the friendliness of the thing uh, that struck me. That's that's great, I, especially for folks hitting the convention for the first time. To me, that's always the best measure of success. Is is you know did you have a good time playing the games and 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 was it friendly people or did you happen to have the misfortune of running into some jerks and and it's it's great that the jerk quotient tends to stay reliably low at most war game conventions well the the other thing and you know if i'd have thought if i'd spent two seconds thinking about it beforehand because you don't you never know what you're walking into right but of course anybody who is there like justin with a game to demo or a company with games to sell or whatever like they're so eager to engage with you because they want to they want to show you what they've been up to or what they're selling or what you know what they're what they're working on so that it's not only is the general amount of people are kind of friendly but the people who are there exhibiting are also they're like they're more than friendly they're like come see my thing i'm excited about it i want you to be excited about it so it's they it's start like an to act. cross the line into the department store like cologne counter people. Well, yeah, but in a good way because I'm into what they're selling. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I, and they don't spray me. Yeah. <laughs> you hope not. At least. <laughs> so, Justin, I know this wasn't your first weekend at the warehouse, but but as you look back on this specific one, um, what's kind of your big takeaway, most memorable moment? You know, biggest thing you're gonna you're gonna take out of this one? Well, my most memorable moment from a negative side was Attila the Hun. Absolutely stomping my face in on the final turn of barbarians at the gates <laughs> i won't be remembering that one for a long time but um yeah no i think just to go along with what grant was saying was just um you know when you're there with people like it, there's like there's so much connection because you're all there for the same reason so there's no it's like the environment itself is the icebreaker. So the fact that I could just walk up to a table and ask the people in the game what game they're playing, how they're liking it, you know, uh, have a chat with folks when they're between games, just sitting down. There's no one at the convention. And that goes to the GMT folks as well. So like, you know, I Gene Billingsley is just walking around through the course of the weekend saying hi to people. You know, he and I had a chat about just like what the ship, like the production logistics is like right now, just overseas. And he was giving me some insight into that. And it's just, you know, everyone there is your, your peer regardless of who they are what their background is what the age difference is like all that stuff just kind of melts away because you're like all there for the same reason and everyone's all there for the same reason voluntarily and and that is to have fun and so in that environment it's just really easy to like be yourself get to know who people really are 
uh, and like bond over like shared interests, uh, whether that's history or gaming and stuff like that. And, um, it, you know, for a, a lot of the time, you know, you said, oh, this is sometimes the only time of the year that people see each other. Well, there's a crew of folks from up in Seattle who go a lot. We didn't. So I, I, I know who they are. You know, I, I've seen them up here at Debris conventions but like i literally now have seen them three straight times at gmt warehouse weekends and we're on the same flights and we don't see each other at the airport we miss each other in the gate we miss each other on the flights and we get to the warehouse i'm like oh you came were you on my flight oh yeah you were and so it's just it's that center of gravity that like pulls people together from even no matter how far away you are i think is the best part that i always like when i come back i feel rejuvenated by that's that's really cool so i uh dumb question time grant you going back in the spring or are you gonna wait till the fall Oh, uh, I I don't know when I'll be back again. Um, you know, you, you, I kind of have to take a week off work to make it work because it's (laughs) two days drive down and two days drive back and four in the middle. Uh, I'd love to go again. Um, but I'll have to see, I know, I know, uh, I know my wife would be happier if I said, Hey, let's go to San Diego for their tournament (laughs) because, uh, I think there's a lot more to do in San Diego than Hanford, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to make the drive and go back again because i had such a good time for sure but yeah, it'd probably there's a lot more to do in abilene than hanford yeah <laughs> i suppose I'd, I'd go to uh I, I, if i go again it'd be in the fall again probably though yeah, yeah. Let, let's put it in a canadian reference there's more to do to, in kitchener than there is in hanford right <laughs> i mean it's, it's yeah they've hanford. got a kitchener's got a great junior a hockey team <laughs> go rangers there you go kitchener rangers there you go all right justin i obviously you're going back are you going back for the spring or are you waiting until the fall that's a great question um i really want to go back in spring i'm not sure if i'm going to be able to because there's a vacation in new zealand i plan on taking some time in there but if i am around and you know if we're on p500 by then which i'm i think we will be then i feel like i can't miss it so uh let's say 70 percent yes probably i'll be going back in spring are uh are you hitting game on also since it's right there in your backyard uh I, yeah in february i'm already registered uh ready to go just waiting for them to open the schedule i'm also going to be at bottles with seljuk uh in vancouver uh coming up in two weeks and then hey. i'll be in san diego uh for sd hiscon with with seljuk as well so it's going to be a lot of travel this fall as you say you got two two weekends back to back there then if you're doing uh, bottles and sd hist hallelujah yeah, <laughs> I guess work's okay with this. <laughs> I, I have so the the pandemic racked up so much PTO. You know what I mean? Like I have yeah. taken so much vacation this year; it's been fantastic. So I might as well use it on the stuff that's you know that I want to go to. That's that's cool. So Grant, is there a is, is there a non GMT weekend at the warehouse convention in your immediate future? Uh, I, no, no, there's, I, I don't know what, I don't know what my next convention will be. I, I have no idea to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, you know, we've got the convention calendar over at the Dragoons website. It's, it's up, it's the calendar on the, I, uh, on the calendar. your calendar is great. And I know, uh, I know my, my wife, she's got this idea now that maybe we could work this into some uh, holidays. So I've got to look at the convention calendar for the cities that she'd be interested in going to. Uh, I know the I know the guys in Montreal all, all often host uh, ASL uh, Canadian ASL Open, yeah. and uh, we've never been to Montreal. So it's, I, I happen to mention she said, "Well, where in Canada did these things happen?" And, I, and one of the one of the cities I said was Montreal, and she just stopped me in my tracks. And Montreal, I'd like to go to Montreal. So maybe that'll be it i'll go play some asl you could also try and time it for when rex is doing one of the big mega games out there in montreal as well so go catch one of those three or four day events with those guys well and there's uh, uh carl's out there uh carl paradis out there and yep. uh, mark rodrigue there's a there's uh, some interesting guys out there that i'd like to uh, meet 
in the you know and, and uh, talk their ear off for a bit. You could uh, go smoke some pipes with Dan Pancaldi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk, he'd be talking my ear off. That, yes. that'd be a, that'd be a, <laughs> turning the tables on me. Yeah. All right, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much for uh, for sharing your experiences with Weekend at the Warehouse and making us all madding, mad, maddeningly jealous that we didn't get a chance to join you. And uh, and now everybody's checking flights to to Hanford and trying to figure out how do I get there. Um, you fly to Fresno and rent a car. That's what you do. Um, and yes, it's California. It's nowhere near the beach. It is nowhere near a beach. Um, it's it's a three and a half hour drive to the beach. I, but there is an In Out Burger. So. Yeah. My, uh, my, my wife's from California out near the coast. I've lived there three different times over the course of my life. Um, usually around the Monterey Bay area, but again, heading inland up that I five, the, the, the I five and California 99 corridors up and down at central Valley. Um, you can do a lot of driving and not feel like you're going anywhere. Cause it's just so <laughs> damn huge. Um, so but, a lot of orchards. Yes, yeah. yes, there are. Um, so, so no, seriously, gentlemen, this is, this is great. Thank y'all very much for sharing your experience about weekend at the warehouse. Thanks to GMT for hosting that thing like literally in the warehouse which is kind of ridiculous they're like the only company that's that crazy and, and part of it is i don't know if there's a building in hanford big enough to hold that at the warehouse. And, and their staff does an excellent job by the way i just like you know the fact that they do this twice a year where they have hundreds of people come into the place that they work and they have their staff work over a weekend frequently early in the morning to late at night making sure that we have snacks uh you know we have the ability to like you know uh get water whatever it is like they do a fantastic job so in addition to like just the gmt like event itself there's a lot that goes into producing it and they do an amazing job yeah those ladies are fantastic plus uh, the chance to walk into the the actual warehouse part of the warehouse and look at all those racks and stacks and take a few (laughs) photos of that i mean it's sort of it felt like a little bucket list moment to uh take a few pictures of those stacks yeah I, i can i can only imagine i'm i'm hoping i get to make it one of these years um it's definitely a plane trip for me i i'm not driving out there from North Carolina, <laughs> um, but but one of these years we'll have to, I hope we'll have to get you out there, Brant. Say again, Justin. Yeah, all right. We'll have to get you out there, Brant. It's it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. I I, I hope to. I'm I'm hoping sometime over the next couple of years that I uh, I have a couple other weekends free that I can do something other than just Origins and Buckeye Game Fest and whatever's happened locally to me here. Um, so I'm I'm hoping we can do a few more of those. So audience, thank you very much for joining us on on this episode of Mention and Dispatches. We've still got some interesting things coming for you later this season. Uh, we've got one on solo wargaming coming up. Uh, that David Thompson is going to join us for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about some of his solo designs. Uh, we we are also still looking for some listener suggestions. Uh, please throw them in the comments down below here or hit us up on social media and let us know uh, something that you'd like us to try and cover between now and the end of the season. Uh, we've probably got about five, six more weeks of this season before we uh, we wrap it up when the holidays get here. And then we'll be back after Christmas with the next one. Um, so Grant and Justin, thank you guys both very much for being here. And, uh, and, and thanks to the audience. We'll catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches.